If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Patrice. Hi, Marloia. Hi, Courtney. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Yay! I'm Instagramming. <gasps> yeah. So it is January something 11th? something 11th, and it is 73 degrees Ooh. outside. We're all sitting in the basement. Glad we're in a basement, mm-hmm. hoping mm-hmm. that the power stays on long yes. enough for us to record this episode. Right. And yeah, yeah, and it's waiting. gonna be fun. So if we like, if you hear <laughs> like, unscheduled, gotta go. stop. <laughs> That's, yeah. Our sirens <laughs> yeah. or something. But Welcome least, to the south. At least we're in a low, uh, a, a first like, floor yeah, pod, basement. pod basement. Pod basement. Yes. yes. Um. Yeah. So that'll be fun. That's what's going on. <clears throat> yeah. So earlier we were talking about the whole memory thing because uh, I left my side door open so Morlea could come in without me having to go open it for her. <laughs> and so she was like being very cautious because she heard me come and didn't want to startle me. But I was like in minor panic because I constantly lose the little thing that has our podcast recordings in it (laughs) and so I was like trying to find it because they're all together and if we don't have that little container then we can't record and so I was in like very like (laughs) inner turmoil and she's like I just want to make sure I didn't scare you I was like oh no you're not gonna scare me because I'm already in a panic but she didn't know it yeah and her eyes (sighs) so I was trying to figure out what had happened because her eyes were like really wide and she was like grabbing her backpack and going back downstairs and I was like Okay. Everything's okay. Fine. Everything is fine. I didn't want to like put anybody in a panic besides myself, but that's the way it's been. Like my memory, and it's because of, I'm juggling so much. Yeah. Um. But this morning, prime example, I make me a cup of coffee. I go get everything together so I can work on my story, and I'm looking around. I can smell my coffee. But I cannot find it. So I like visit all the places without I have been that morning trying to find my coffee. And I'm like, fuck it. So I can make me a second cup of coffee because I knew that the universe would show me <laughs> my first cup of coffee just as soon as I make that second cup of coffee. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm getting two cups of coffee. I'm going to double fist it today. Yes. And so I made a second cup of coffee and I go in there in my computer room and I sit down and motherfucker, if my other coffee is not right there. <laughs> there kind of behind my computer where I couldn't see it by just walking in the room and looking I had to actually sit down so I had like my story to prep and two cups of coffee this morning but um that is pretty much the theme of my whole week (laughs) And I was telling Marlea that my husband bought me a little key tracker flob that I can attach flob. to my phone. Flob. <laughs> flob. <laughs> it's a flob, y'all. It has anything to do with me. It's a flob. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, that's great for my keys. But then I start fucking losing everything else. And I just, you know, because my computer reads my mind... Um, when I can't, one of the things that I saw on it um, yesterday was 11 simple ways to improve your memory. 
Oh, I've read those articles before. What did it tell you? Mm-hmm. So I'll go into uh, all the 10 other ways. Okay. But one that really caught me off guard that was um, interesting was like, don't walk through a doorway. Um, so I'm, that's what exactly. That was my like, what? And so uh, it's basically, you know, we all walked through into a room and suddenly realized that we can't remember anything. And, you know, while we were there in the first place. And it's actually kind of a uh, researchers have found that people who like done participations in these stories in like virtual and real world studies are more likely to forget an object after they had just placed a container or whatever after they walked through a doorway so it's like if you lose something don't walk through doorways for whatever reason um our brain processes going into a new area and it causes us not to remember as much oh my god isn't that crazy isn't that some bullshit i mean it's like no it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy because you always think like why do I walk into this room? Why did I, you know, what am I doing in here? And it's true, but there's like scientific, they're like proving it. Yeah. It's not just me, you know, being very forgetful. I'm trying to remember, cause this came up in something else. I'm trying, what on earth would this have been? It, I I've heard this before and I do it all the time at work. I tell David, you have to tell me before I walk through that doorway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, see, yeah, I haven't heard the it. memory part, but very recently Somebody was talking to me about it was either people with dementia or people uh, with like um, so like mental disabilities or something. It, maybe a child, like if they went into a fit or were having a problem, that the best way to, to get them, them out of that was to just steer them into a new room. And when they got into the new room, it was like yeah they they i don't they don't it wasn't like an autistic an autistic child with a fit i wish i could remember what it was maybe it was a sleepwalking thing right maybe it was the best way to get a sleepwalking child to go back to sleep it could have been when i was studying the leininger case right that the best way to get a sleepwalking child to like snap back into whatever go back to bed was to just interim it's, it's take them back into another weird room. isn't it though but uh the scientists they haven't really figured out why this works but they know that there's something about entering a new place that restarts the memory hmm. so it kind of like if you it reboots your system whatever so if you're trying to remember something don't reboot your mind by going into another room weird it is weird so i need all the memory tips are you going to cover the rest I'm of gonna, them in the after show i am awesome after talk we're going to talk about all and there's yes, some weird do we'll like, do them together it reads it reads like old wives tells i mean it's like it's just weird <laughs> kind of thing so um anything yeah, my, else we want to talk about i mean no oh, let's talk about this drink oh my god yeah. so i'm so pissed off <laughs> i was like being yeah. very disgruntled <laughs> because i was like who goes first and they're like you do portray so i'm like she's like i want a drink i want to drink but it's okay you have you're like have like, i like i've been down. like you know that's a I got double it, too, I got right? yes mm. <laughs> i feel it it feels good it's i was very cautious when you told me about this Mm-hmm. So tell us Winter about Winter bourbon drink. smash. It's mm. made with raspberry jam. Never mm. thought I would make a drink with jam. Oh my gosh. Raspberry yes. jam and orange juice, uh, Cointreau, and bullet bourbon. Yes. And this I is... can't, it's not super sweet. It's Mm-mm. weird. But it is It is sweet though. It's when sweater I than I expected yeah, you to like. It has like a really full sweet. taste yes. to it. Yeah, so. it does. It's got 
So it's a way to have a fruity drink in the winter. In the wintertime. Using the preserves. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm all over that. This is like top five drink here. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yay. Yeah, it's really good. I posted pics on Instagram and the fan page, too. Yeah, now now Courtney's like, (laughs) Courtney's got the access. She's like, I take these pictures of these drinks every week. Why do you guys never post them? (laughs) 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 Way to fail me. You work so hard. You do work so hard. You make Mm -hmm. such pretty drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't think I have. Oh, oh no, I'm supposed to tell you this. Okay. I mentioned last week that uh, that I'm having my house renovated, I right. think, right? Didn't I mention that on the mm-hmm. show? I don't know if I told the story about the cat being stuck in the ceiling. But anyways, there. so um, it's been chaos at my house. Just, you know, they're very good, though. So if you want a recommendation for, a like, a person, give me a call. Or don't, please don't call me. DM, <laughs> no, <laughs> DM me or something. But, um, <laughs> DM the show. <laughs> but um, anyway, they're great. They're really fun. And when I, last week when I was recording, I told Josh, you know, I, I'm going to be out of pocket. I'm recording. I can't talk. So, you know, t- contact my husband if you need anything. Because there were a lot of things like they would go to the store and they would need input on what they're going to get for us. Right. And so I was like, you got to talk to my husband. And that later that day after it, he was like, so what you said you do a podcast. What's that? So I told him about it. Swear to God by Monday, he was like seven episodes in (laughs) and then all week long, he's been working at the house and I'm, I'm hearing my own voice like bouncing so off the walls in my bathroom because he's, you know, because he's moving around a lot. And so he doesn't have headphones in or anything. The right. kids were home a couple of those days. Oh, no. And like, I heard five cuss words today. <laughs> she went and, and wrote them down. And then she told me that we need to be acknowledging her, per, her contribution to the show on the web page. Oh. She's like, I'm going to need yes, you to girl. say that I'm the one who says the strange She's stuff. She's going to get a manager before we know it. She's yes, know, like, absolutely. Gonna She's going to want royalties. <laughs> and... She's very business-minded. <laughs> but um, there, that's what she said. But then Avi said, Avi was like oh, elaborating God. on that. Was it the, like yesterday? Mm-hmm. And she was saying, yeah, we keep on hearing your your show and she said, and I know it because I'll wake up and I'll hear Patrice talking and then I'll hear you interrupting Patrice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was like, do I do that? I thought it was probably the other way around because I am the great interrupter simply because I can't remember shit and I have to speak well, before I remember. Apparently you're not. Apparently I'm always interrupting you and I'm very rude. Well, Coco's probably learning the swear words from me. Oh no. I mean, you know Last what? Last week you guys told me that she was upstairs saying we... Uh, Oh, was that was out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we just heard Courtney saying cuss words. Yeah. Like, we, they <laughs> were sitting... Me? Dur- while we were recording what? last week, they were just sitting there playing video games, and we weren't really talking. We went upstairs, Patrice and I, mm-hmm. after, and Courtney had gone home. And so, you know, they weren't even talking to us. She was just right. sitting there looking at the screen, and she was like, yeah, I heard Courtney say a cuss word. And we're like... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, out of, out of <laughs> everybody that cusses. I know, right? Or that tries not to cuss around you. Such you know. <laughs> a title. So anyway, yeah. That's funny. But yes, Kids. you have to go first, so drink up. I did. Like, I'm, I'm warm. <laughs> so good. Okay. So, trigger warning with this. Oh. So we're in the winter months, although it's fucking 70 degrees outside. 
uh, and the no, tornadoes no, are coming. Mm-hmm. Nope. But you know, every winter time, I have to up my antidepressants, mm, and yeah. you know, antidepressants <laughs> and winter time um, suicide rates, you know, all kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. So I am going to talk about suicide during my. Um, little story here so I just wanted to like put that out there as a trigger warning that you know many of us do suffer from depression and seasonal depression um please take your meds if they're not working get with your doctor and adjust them because I've I've had to adjust mine uh also when I was doing research for this topic um I was looking up suicide and Alaska has like the highest suicide rate. And that's because of there's just, no sun. there's no sun. Uh, it's very isolated. Um, so, you know, just know that you're not alone. And, and there's like the top 10 States, uh, for suicide rates, uh, was like Arkansas was up in there and Tennessee was up in there. And I don't really know the reason why, because of that, just know that the world is a better place with you in it. Yeah. So, you yes. know, I want to put that out there, um, for this topic, uh, I, it's one of those things where I just didn't have like a, th- uh, a person or a story that I went straight to. It was like one of those, I started with an idea and it totally didn't go anywhere near that idea, (laughs) but it started with that thing. And there's going to be, while this is not completely all Southern stuff that I'm going to talk about, um, there are a lot of geographical jumps in here and that's like no pun, but um, I just wanted you to know that, uh, you know, it's more of a theme than, you know, a person or, you know, crazy woo-woo gotcha no woo-woo no woo-woo but it started with mark twain actually oh and mark twain who i always get you know you always get that southern vibe from mark twain because Mm -hmm. of you know he wrote uh ventures of huckleberry finn and Mm -hmm. tom sawyer and whatnot but he's actually was born in missouri yeah he's missouri and you know lived in san francisco and died in new york and stuff so he was like not he really didn't visit the south except for when he was growing up um i think he worked in a paper for a little little while but then he became a riverboat pilot Mm. and uh he would travel a lot from st louis missouri um down to new orleans and that's where he got a lot of his like experience and his content for writing you know huck finn and tom sawyer stuff uh, and also, it's where he got his name. I, f- I forget what his original name is. Clement. Cle- Samuel yeah. Clements. Samuel, Samuel Clements, right. Um, I forgot to copy and paste that. But um, his pen name was Mark Twain because Mark Twain is actually a, like a term that they used on the river uh, when the depth gets to be like, they, they check to see if the depth is like 12 feet. And that means it's Mark Twain. That means that it's safe for boats to go through, the river boats oh. to go through. So oh, that's, that. that's actually that. like where his pen name is. like, I knew that. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> so... Um, so this is where, you know, he he got a lot of his um, information and uh, experience, you know, and, and a lot of the great writers is like they have fantastic lives because mm-hmm. they've they've lived these these experiences. Fantastic and drunken lives. Fantastic <laughs> drunken lives for sure. Um, I also feel a kinship to him with his hair because I totally <laughs> understand what it's like to have that kind of hair that's unruly that you just could like give fuck alls about and it's going to do what it's going to do. <laughs> Um, but 
William Faulkner, who is from the South mm-hmm. and is from Mississippi, my home state, uh, called Mark Twain the father of American literature. And Faulkner, who was born, so Mark Twain was born 1835 to 1910. Uh, Faulkner was born 1897 to 1962, so Mark Twain would have been like grandfather age mm-hmm. to Faulkner. Faulkner's from, is it Oxford? Is that where, mm, no? No, well, he went to school in Oxford. Oh, that's um, why, that's why. Right, and, you know, he went to school there. John Grissom lives in Oxford. It's like Oxford's a very much a literary kind of magnet in the middle of fuck all Mississippi, <laughs> basically. Um but I remember young or in high school. I don't want to think I was in high school. I think it was much younger than that. And I can't remember if it was a school field trip. But we went to his home called Roanoke. Mm-hmm. And this is before I like read. I think I've only read one Faulkner piece, A Light in August. Oh, yeah. And I could not tell you what it was about at all. I used to love. We read. I think The Sound and the Fury was the first one that I read. And I loved it just because it was so different. Mm-hmm. I think I was just looking for something that was just like really, really different. And right. that whole stream of consciousness thing was like, it, blew my mind. Right. And his, um, yeah. So what really fascinated me and, and what really like kind of keeps him in the back of my head when I talk, you know, we're talking about Mississippi, famous Mississippi people, um, is that when I went to Roanoke, which mm-hmm. is the place where he lived towards the end of his life, um, One of his styles or one of the ways that he mapped out his books is he wrote it on the wall. So I went, so one of the rooms that you go into, you can sit there and see his handwriting where he was figuring out like the plots and the characters. And he was like, you know, so that's like writing on the wall. And as a kid who doesn't really know who the fuck this person is and the significance of them and having them into context, I just totally remember this beautiful antebellum home and going into a room and seeing like a book written on a wall and oh just totally God. blown away. I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. He's writing on the walls, something that your mother tells you not to do. Mm-hmm. But honestly, my mother encouraged us to write on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like my brother, his whole wall was like crayons and doodles and people would come over and just write on the walls and, you know, very, that's kind of like, to me, it wasn't that out of the norm, but mm-hmm. it was fascinating that a grown man it was a grown up yeah. that was actually doing this. Oh my god, so that's awesome! That's one of the things that I truly remember um, about him. But he um, he was born in New Albany, which is where we lived um, for a while, and uh, Roanoke, I believe, is in Bahia, um, Mississippi, which. If you're like talking, if they say Oxford, it's kind of like saying, you know, he was born in Jacksonville and lived in, um, you know, uh, God, I went blank. Da, da, da. Aniston or Oxford. Or, 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 Oxford or Gadsden, you know, so it's like very close, relatively speaking, in the same journal area. So in like 1930, after Faulkner got married and everything, um, he purchased this home. That's the one that I visited. Um, It was an antebellum home uh, called Roanoke. And it was built by an Irish um, planter named Robert Shegan. And so they, it was kind of like, you know, it was built before the Civil War. And it had run down. And so in 1930, when um, Faulkner and his wife uh, bought it, 
they had to go in and renovate it. And so, you know, they went in and fixed it up. And, and it is like, it's really kind of this eerily magical place because it's like this wooded area and you go up this trail and then all of a sudden it's like this beautiful home and it's got like this balcony and we when you were talking about the um originally about the possession over in Rockford oh the Rockford yeah the Rockford home this is the house that I was visualizing with the balcony and everything Mm -hmm. um initially and um so I was thinking of Roanoke because it had like that kind of romantic setting to it. So Faulkner, uh, you know, there was always kids around. He had a daughter. He had a niece. Um, he had a great granddaughter. I mean, there was kids around all the time and they would he would like had a lot of fun telling ghost stories because when he grew up, it's like the women in his life. And he even had an African-American nanny who was very um uh, important to like his development of, of things that he was exposed to and the stories that she would tell him. So he grew up like with all of this literature and, and arts and culture being like, um, you know, pushed on him by the females in his uh or exposed to them. I wouldn't say pushed. Exposed to these by the females. Uh, by the females in his life. So, uh, of course, you know, an author, literature is very important to him. So he was a storyteller, of mm-hmm. course. And he loved telling the kids stories. And one of the stories that he would tell, and there's actually his niece that would sit and listen to all these stories that he would tell um, the children at Roanoke. She wrote a book in 2013 called The Ghost of Roanoke, William Faulkner's Ghost Stories for Children. Oh, I'm totally going to buy that. And um, I was looking at an article and one of the... um, one of the ghost stories that he would tell is of um, the guy, the Irish planter, Robert Shegog, uh, had a daughter. And that, um, you know, you have like, you know, the sweeping entrance, the balcony that looks the cover path and everything. And the daughter allegedly took her own life by jumping from that balcony because, um you know, she was in love with um, this guy, Michael Johnson, of the Southern Illinois Volunteers, and she would wait for him. He was supposed to return. He never returned. And it was kind of like, you know, out of despair, she took her own life. And that was like one of the ghost stories and the ghost haunts Roanoke, you know, still to this day. And a lot of like the female suicide taking of life has a lot to do with like the women in white mm-hmm. that you would see. So, you know, there's these, so many of those. There's yeah. so many of women in white. There's so many legends of, um, of females taking their lives. So wo- woman pines for man, man leaves, woman dies is a very common theme in literature. Oh, it's a very, uh, like women starts own business. You know? <laughs> women you know, like, becomes millionaire. <laughs> Doesn't need a man. I guess that speaks to the time. True, true. Um, So, you know, this idea of, um, you know, the young woman, the young virgin uh, committing suicide is like the romantic Gothic notion that we hear. And it's very much a Victorian idea. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and going back to Mark Twain here, uh, like I said, this is kind of like, it just like meanders no, all away, right? This. So like this idea of somebody committing suicide, uh, when I was first reading Mark Twain, which kind of, you know, got me down this path, he wrote, there are 50 lovers leaps along the Mississippi from whose summit disappointed uh, Indian girl has jumped. So disappointed Indian girl, Indian girl has jumped. So he's saying along the Mississippi, there's all these lovers lanes or not lovers lanes, but lovers, lovers leap. leaps yeah. um, where, you know, some Indian princess would not go. We've got one and right leaps. Yep. And so exa- exactly where your mind went, my mind went mm-hmm. as well. So in Gadsden, Missis- uh, Alabama, Gadsden, Mississippi. In Gadsden, Mississippi. No, in Gadsden, Alabama, there is a place called Nakalula Falls. <gasps> I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. Um, Princess Nakalula was a beautiful daughter, and this is the legend of mm-hmm. it, uh, who had a powerful Cherokee chief father, and she was deeply in love with one of the braves from her own tribe. So, like, no big deal, mm-hmm. right? But despite her wishes to pursue this love affair and marry this young warrior, she was promised by her father to one of the Creek Indian chiefs. To make a, a pact. To make to a make pact, a peace, treaty. peace treaty, you know, economical mm-hmm. reasons, I'm sure, political reasons, Just whatever. Bargaining yeah, tools. women as bargaining love chips. It. Right, property. Um, so her lover was banished from the tribe. And uh, Nakalula, Princess Nakalula, was forced to ready herself for this arranged marriage. So the day of her wedding, she allowed herself to be, like, put in ceremonial garb. And she was very, like, acquiescent of all the things happening. And she attended the marriage feast and all that. But while everybody was celebrating, um, she quietly slipped away and wandered through the forest of her childhood, coming across to the beautiful waterfall that you can visit now at Nakalula Falls, Mm -hmm. um, which was near her tribal home. So instead of subjecting herself to this loveless marriage, well, basically, instead of being raped by an old man, um, she decided to jump from the precipice uh, of the falls and ended her life on the rocks below. Mm. So this is the legend. This is the story. And I'm like, God, I was like, you know, that is a very romantic ideal that we hear about. And it wasn't until I really read Mark Twain's comment of talking about all the lovers leaps on the Mississippi about uh, Indian princesses that I started. I was like, well, let's see how many Indian princesses that we have. And there is quite a bit. So, um, these legends, nobody really knows, although I have a kind of an idea, and I'll go into that in just a second, where these legends have come about and if they're true or not. Um, they just kind of like people start talking about them and it just is a thing. Mm-hmm. So in over Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga, oh, yeah. there's a lover's leap where a Chalks, uh, Chickasaw warrior named Saw T, and I'm probably mispronouncing all this shit, um, <laughs> loved a beautiful Cherokee maiden named Nakuchi. And the Don't two, laugh. I, yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. I totally like probably slaughtered that, but that's what it looks like it says. Okay. Um, <laughs> There are two tribes. Gonna, oh man, I'm so offensive. There are two tribes were at war, so the two love and the two lovers were found out. So it was a very much a Romeo Juliet kind of thing. 
So the Cherokees sent out a raiding party to capture Salty and haul him to the ledge atop Lookoff Mountain and threw him off to his death. Oh, wow. So while they were celebrating this deed, uh, Nakuchi uh, slipped unnoticed off the edge of the cliff and her family couldn't reach her in time. And the last words she spoke before leaping to her doom were Salty. So, again, this is like Chattanooga, Tennessee, in Hot Springs, North Carolina. There's a Lover's Leap where the legend goes a Cherokee chief named Lone Wolf who rules beside the Tecostes River. I probably mispronounced that. Um, wanted his daughter, Mist on the Mountain, to marry a powerful but old brave named Tall Pine. But old. Old. So one day, Mist on the Mountain fell in love with Magua, a handsome young visitor to her village, where her father refused Magua's marriage proposal. Mist on the Mountain traveled um, to the foot of the towering rock to meet Magua uh, when Tall Pine, who had followed them, struck and killed the young man. Mist on the Mountain ran, but Tall Pine cornered her on the high cliff where she heard Magua's spirit call to her, so she leaped to the river to join her lover, and moments later, a panther struck and killed Tall Pine before he could escape the lurid scene. Oh, well, there is at least some justice yeah. in that one. Right, yes. Have you, uh, are you, have you watched the movie The Last of Mohicans? A mm-hmm. uh, long time ago, but Daniel Day Lewis bugged me so much <laughs> oh, that really? I kind of just like he was he was like my teen heartthrob. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis in that movie, he was like right under Patrick Swayze, mm. which is interesting mm-hmm. because in Lake Lure, North Carolina, where they filmed Dirty Dancing, where the hotel that they filmed it yeah. at eventually burned down, right, right, is just at the bottom, like Chimney Rock peak chimney rock park in north carolina mm-hmm. right outside of Asheville, is where they filmed last of the mohicans so every like deli and gas station and in that area of north carolina has a picture a signed picture of daniel day oh, right. dressed as an indian oh but, my god as a native american but um that's that's the storyline of right. the end of that movie just you know spoilers it's really spoilers. old get with it but right. um, yeah there there's but it's weird because in that one the one that that throws herself off the cliff when her her man who she can't have dies right is legit crazy white girl mm. like and i'm like okay it makes sense because she's nuts right you know i mean right. and but it, it, anyway i have nothing to say okay. I have no no context no, for that. no, no, no i'm glad you brought that up because i didn't like i didn't connect any of this which it kind of makes sense so there is another lover's leap um, in West Virginia at Hawks Nest State Park. And this story, this legend is the Shawnee Indian chief who, like the father of the Hot Springs tale, uh, disapproved of his daughter's love for a young brave. Instead, the chief arranged for a marriage between his daughter and the chief of a neighboring tribe. Sound familiar? Um, the young maiden, maiden courageously refused the marriage, telling her father that she loved the warrior in her own tribe. Angrily, her father ordered her to um, stay in her teepee under guard until she consented, but she managed to sneak out and fled um, with her true love, and they escaped together. And soon afterwards, the chiefs um, sent his warriors to pick up their trail and cornered the two lovers on a cliff, and they basically pulled a Thelma and Louise. and. Oh. Um, hand in hand, jumped off the cliff. Thelma and Lewis. Yep, Thelma and Lewis. <laughs> 
And again, one more in Arkansas in Natural Steps. And this kind of goes with the woman in white story. Um, you can see our people have reported seeing a woman in white walking the natural steps in this uh, cemetery. It's called Natural Steps. So walking Natural Steps Cemetery. Uh, and she's first seen like in this specific part of the cemetery. And um, it leads you up basically uh, to the natural steps to the top where uh, there is like the cliff to jump off. And so the legend of this woman is um, basically Martha Sanders, who is not a Native American, was a young bride who lost her husband um, days after their wedding. And so um, before his death, you know, they decided to have their wedding at their favorite meeting spot, was, which was at the top of this place called Natural Steps, and it overlooked the Arkansas River. Um, but, of course, their honeymoon was short because he died days later, and the grief was too great for Martha. So after the funeral, she disappeared, and it is believed that the woman in white is her and that she threw herself from the Natural Steps um, cliff and whatnot. So I was like, okay, there's... And I'm just, this is just like the tip yeah, like of like smattering of all the different, you know, Native American and non-Native American women, women throwing themselves off of things because of unrequited love mm -hmm. or because of like losing something, the, losing yeah. a man or, or even like uh, becoming pregnant and not having, dealing with the shame and whatnot. Men don't throw themselves off things in these oh, stories. So let me, let me, we're going to talk about that. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Let's get on that. Uh -huh. So looking this up, because I'm like, I really, like, I tried to search. It's like, Nakalula Falls. It's like, is Princess Nakalula, was she real? real. Like, oh, is yeah. there oh, is, is there a real princess? Is there documentation? They have her death date, mm -hmm. but is that legitimate? Like, I was trying to find more information about it, and there's, like, nothing. So mm. during, like, looking through this and and. From past talks that we've had, we know the Victorian era, era was like very much into spiritualism and mm -hmm. the occult and Victorians of the time, including Queen Victoria, was very obsessed with death. Mm -hmm. And so um, and the Victorians had like this very romantic notion of death. And uh, it, it's like a theme that we constantly revisit, even in the South, because of all the literature and art that's come out of that time period and that was popular during that time. So I'm looking and I'm looking and I find this honor thesis by Deborah Deacon, and it has so much great information in cool. it. And it is about it's called Fallen Women, the Popular Image of Female Suicide in Victorian uh age so she writes about like why the female suicide became such a popular thing because if we look at the legends that were propagated all around the south of like the lover's leap and the women um and the native americans throwing themselves off of rocks because they couldn't marry their lovers and they were being married off to old men mm -hmm. um it was all during the like either during or right after the victorian time and so she addresses this about like the visual image of self-destruction um, is overwhelmingly female in Victorian era and in literature of, mm -hmm. of that time. And that like 
the, you know, we had the stereotypical image of suicide from like the lovelorn, seduced or abandoned girls who's either like, you know, they shamefully, uh, you know, throw themselves off a cliff or jump off a bridge or whatnot. And at the time, I mean, and it still is in, in Christian um, circles or cult. Religion, sorry. <laughs> sorry, fraudy and slip. Um, so in, in Christianity, it is a, you know, sin is a mortal sin to kill yourself. You're going to hell if you kill yourself. And that was typically Catholicism. Right. And that was very much the thing back then, you know, uh, in the Victorian age is like, yes, you're going to go to hell. And women who committed suicide that really wasn't talked much about because of this like damnation that was attached to it. So suicide at the time was really considered a male act. And um, it was seen as something that men did. And it wasn't for love. It was from some sort of worldly like finances or, or something that had happened to them in and of their world that had no emotion. It was more of a cut and dry business kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the Victorian era. All I could think of was like Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life. Like your business is going under and you can't support your family. So that's what Right, I'm right, doing. right. Okay. Um, you're right, exactly. So um, in Victorian time, they became f- fascinated um, by death. And they also became fascinated by the news of women who committed suicide because they previously saw it as strictly a, um, a male act. You know, and... All of a sudden, like all fem- any female suicide started to like gain all this attention um, because it, it was a male behavior. So when they did report suicides or talk about suicides, uh, a lot of it was drowning females who were drowning simply because they considered this the quintessential female method of killing yourself. Ophelia, all right, Ophelia. Um, because they could pronounce the death mm-hmm. as found drowned rather than label it as suicide because they, they couldn't, like, she wasn't hanging. She didn't, like, take poison or whatnot. She just washed up on shore. And so because she did that, they were able to give her, like, a uh, burial in a Christian cemetery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't shameful yeah. like suicide is. Back in that time, if you did commit suicide and they found it, to like be a, uh, an act of suicide, then they buried you at the crossroad <gasps> so that people could, you could have a steady traffic um, over your grade to help keep your ghost down and prevent your restless spirit from wandering. Whoa. So suicides were actually buried at crossroads in order um, for like your ghost and your restless soul to be kept there and not in graveyards and not given like the peaceful comfort of like, you know, the afterlife in a graveyard. So, but like I said, you know, the obsession with death in Victorian England at this time um, came about because all of a sudden they started, um, I don't know if it's, we'll get to this a little bit later, but, but it became popular. And so newspapers grabbed a hold of it. And there was like over 300 newspaper accounts of female suicides during the 19th century, which if you think about it, it'd be like the paper, like 
all the time talking about, well, you know, so-and-so, mm-hmm. you know, committed suicide, so-and-so committed, committed suicide. So it became like this cultural obsession. And the, by just knowing that their paper reported it like over 300 times in a century or whatnot, it's like it sold papers. Oh, So it became like this shocking, but we need to know more about this person mm-hmm. and why they did this and what is their story kind of deal. And and again, if you look at the artwork and the literature that's being created during this time, you've got like all those beautiful paintings of Ophelia mm-hmm. from Hamlet. And um, there is like, you know, woodcuts of like the drowned women or, you know, women leaping off of things that would get published in these papers and those papers sold. So it was literally when they would print articles about somebody jumping off a bridge or somebody jumping off a monument or something like that, they would include, um, you know, these images and, you know, they literally were like fallen women. It was almost like a play on words, like these fallen women who are throwing themselves either because of unrequited love or because um, they got themselves into trouble and, at that time, <laughs> they got themselves, they got themselves into, trouble. into trouble, right? And at that time, you know, you hit 20, and if you weren't married, you were like... You're a spinster. You are a spinster, and you're going downhill, and your worth plummeted. Um, so, let's see. Bum, bum, bum. Or your perceived worth. Or your perceived worth. I'm sorry. Yes, your perceived worth um, plummeted. Uh, so, you know, every time somebody jumped... There was a write-up about it, and then people wanted to know the dirt, basically, which was selling the papers. And because this was happening and being reported so much, the Victorians were also fascinated by the Hindu practice of sati, which was when a woman's husband died, the women would kill themselves to follow their husbands into the afterlife. Oh, So it was like all of this death, again, Victorian you know, obsession with death, um, and so England's reading about this and they're thinking, you know, they wanted to believe that redundant women really had no place to go but death, mm. you know, so it, it kind of fed into this, um, idea that they had about women, um, who were not married by a certain age at the right. time because they had all of these women, mm-hmm. um, you know, who were just living their lives and society at a certain age was thinking, well, you know, since you are not married and don't have kids and not living an upstanding Christian life, then, you know, you have no place in this world. So you might as well kill yourself. Man. I mean, that's the underlying current yeah. of, of all of this. Um, so I highly, I'm going to post, it's a PDF of this, um, this woman who did this thesis paper because it's very... Um, interesting talking about like the seduced woman um and and because her argument for this is is that what the papers and what the victorian era was doing is they were setting up basically um an understanding that suicide could be used um, as a warning to women to behave uh, properly. So there's like all these undercurrents to this thing, which translates and got carried over in literature and art and Mm -hmm. culture um, to the South and, uh, you know, very much came up into Faulkner's 
lovesick Judith mm-hmm. uh, in his tale. And in one of the articles that I was reading about um, Faulkner's niece, which I really, her name's Dean Faulkner Wells, mm-hmm. I believe is her full name. So Dean pretty much said that she asked him straightforward. She's like, does Judith exist? And he was like, no, I made her up. Mm. So I'm pretty much sure that all of these tales, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty much guarantee that at least 99.9% of these tales of lovers leap and in our native American princesses throwing themselves off the cliffs are pure bonk. I want to like, I've been wanting to throw in and I was waiting cause I was like, I want you to tell me what you think. <laughs> cause there, you remember when we talked about the wampus cat mm-hmm. and we talked about the fact that women in Native American tribes tended to have a lot more power than yes. women in white tribes, you know? Right. I mean, it's like that because they didn't start losing power until their tribes were being appropriated by right. white man's money. Right. And so, you know, people like their their elders turned things around on them, but a lot of those tribes were matriarchal. Right. And so this idea that's very, very Christian oh, white Protestant yes. of a woman not being able to marry and throwing herself off a cliff is very Christian white Protestant. It really is. Yes. And it goes back to that, that thing of the idea of like, you better behave and watch yourself or you too may have to throw yourself off a cliff mm-hmm. kind of deal and w- things that interesting and that is telling that kind of supports everything that we're saying here is that when I was reading about these lovers leap it would be like the legend was written by and it would give a female name mm. so it was like these female authors writing their romance novels mm-hmm. and they became legends in the area so. That's interesting. I you know, know, do you know there's a there's actually an outdoor drama now for the story of Princess Nakalula that launched this past summer for the first time. I think oh. they they began it this past summer. Okay. And it's a I think it's like a two week run or something like that in the minute. And I think they're gonna do it annually. So it right. we'll have to I mean, it'd be interesting it to would see be interesting. and to see what you know, what they have to say about like the background of that story right. and the legend. But I mean, so there's 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 so many like levels of, of things happening here mm-hmm. and it's it's very much, yeah, it, it feeds into the patriarch, it feeds into Christianity, it feeds into the economics. Yeah. Because every lover's leap, every Nakalula Falls has some sort of income mm-hmm. that's being and, money. Yeah, coming into <laughs> it because of this romantic ideal that um basically was uh what is the word? It was basically like obsessed about during the Victorian time. And mm-hmm. we still and, and have all these romantic images of this and have taught, you know, and read all the novels and read, you know, like, you know, who is it? Heathcliff on the Moors. And, <laughs> you know, all the things like, like oh all these God. like gothic <laughs> romances that we think about where we think about romance. We should be thinking about like men bringing us coffee and doing our laundry <laughs> and like taking the kids. <laughs> to the bus stop and all that's romance you know that's what all we of, need to be all of Patrice's personal wishes <laughs> <laughs> that's my romantic <laughs> ideal idealisms there yes ladies so let's flip it yes oh my goodness so that's my story 
I love it. It's oh, yes. crazy. That took a lot very of fucking good. research. Yeah. I'm very yeah. impressed. Did I was all over the place, but it wasn't. It's oh, I felt like it was what well, my oh, research was, but I did. I pulled it back yeah. around. But if you join the Patreon, you can hear what got me started, Ooh. and it has to do with Mark Twain and a Ouija board. Oh, oh my god! I don't even have to think I about the after show. Yeah. I just got it. <laughs> right? Spiritualism plays into that. Yeah. Too. Of the photographs of uh, oh, the oh yes, yes. Well, we'll be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. Mm-hmm. All right. Well... Since now <laughs> we got a weather update, so now I'm like, I'm going to tell my story super fast. <laughs> um, okay, mine is a completely different story. <laughs> we probably were not on the same page. Um, I don't even know what page I was on. Killing others. This is <laughs> Yes. Okay, man. Um, this, is, this is one that, if I'm remembering correctly... Someone who I can't remember who it was from the goat house came up to us in the middle or after our show and said, have you ever looked at Cahill Mansion? Oh, I vaguely remember that. And so I guess it is because we're that's 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 Mississippi, right? I should have paid attention. I don't know. Gulfport. Gulfport. Gulfport, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yes. So um, anyways, I was like, oh, that's on my list. Let's do that. Yay. So that's what we're going to do. Mississippi bound today. It's Mississippi day. Um, So a lot of the information I got from this was from a book called Stories from the Haunted South by Alan Brown. And I've relied on his books a couple other times. He's got a a series of books that are... um, southern ghost stories mm-hmm. and taken from like firsthand accounts and stuff like that and there was one called shadows in cyprus that i've used before but i like his stuff um and also from local newspapers the biloxi sun herald has some stuff and there's a site called paranormal gumbo but um so people who grew up in i guess it was bayou view neighborhood in gulfport mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, would probably be familiar with this Cahill house, Cahill mansion, but it was built in 1915 by uh, William Stewart. And um, it's on a a street called Kimball drive. This Bayou area is um, also known as Hansboro. Um, And so it's not like a, it wasn't a very, I mean, I guess it was imposing. It's a three story, 15 room house. So it's big. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, but it's not like it doesn't have like, it doesn't sound like it had all the columns and stuff. It just, well, it was, if it was 1915, yeah. then it was like post civil war. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was not their thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, it was owned by several families and then it was leased to the air force during uh, world war two as a non-commissioned officers club. But in the forties, the mansion was bought by a chiropractor named Dr. Cahill. And uh, they lived there for like 13 years without any problems. But then in 53, their, um, it was either 13 or 14-year-old son, Richie, 
was driving a tractor on the property and the tractor flipped on him. Mm, and I've almost so, had that happen to me. Oh, my, my, my dad had that happen to his brother, I think. Like mm. that, that happens. It does <laughs> happen. It happened to, my uncle. Yeah. It happened to your uncle. But yeah, I, he wasn't killed instantly. Yeah. It, mm. it like he, it, they thought for a minute he was going to be okay, but then he probably had some internal bleeding or something. Oh, so, you yeah. know, he, he ended up passing away and the Cahills just couldn't, cope with being in the house so they sold it four years later like they tried it didn't work and the people they sold the house to were um dr kendall gregory and his wife <laughs> apparently mrs dr gregory because oh, God. i they can didn't never her find name a name down, for right? her because it's the 50s so in 1957 they bought the house they have apparently like a gaggle of children i don't know how many kids they had but they had a bunch and they were aged ranged from like four to college age i think mm-hmm. um so the Hattiesburg American newspaper interviewed them in 1970. And one of the things Mrs. Gregory said was, you may be a non-believer when you move into a house like that, but you're a believer when you move out. Mm. So she said when she first moved into the house, she just kind of felt all the time like she wasn't alone. This sounds familiar, right? Like mm-hmm. haunted house stuff. She always thought somebody was watching her. Um, but then it passed beyond that fairly quickly. So she started hearing noises in the house at night And it wasn't just like I'm hearing scratchings or I'm hearing it was moanings, full on screams, holy shit, footsteps, the sounds of something heavy being dragged, Mm. orchestra music. Oh my god! Beating on the walls, the shining. I know, Mm -hmm. laughter and the sound of ice tinkling against glass. Oh damn! And instead of moving out, she bought earplugs. She sounds like a very practical I woman. I think she's a very practical woman. <laughs> well, you said she had many kids, yeah, so, so she was, just like, Fuck she it. was beaten <laughs> just down. Let me sleep. Right? Um, <laughs> she she started like kind of making note of certain rooms that were cold all the time, certain portions of certain rooms that were cold all the time. Um, light fixtures would randomly fall out of the ceilings. Um, there were certain walls on the house that could never be painted, and that wasn't explained anywhere. It was mentioned in multiple things, right? But they couldn't explain what that meant. Like uh, it just wow. wouldn't hold paint, whatever that means. Mm. So in Alan Brown's book, um, a lot of these stories are told by a woman named Ann Milstead who went to church with the Gregories, mm-hmm. and Mrs. Gregory told them a whole bunch of stories about what had happened in the house. She was younger; she was like in the youth group, so she was the Gregory's kids' age. Um, instead of the age of their parents, which mm-hmm. part of me is thinking like, are they telling you these stories? Like as part of a like bonfire situation, right. you know, it, but, um, she said that the Gregory's five-year-old son was the first person in the house who actually saw anything there. Um, one night, right after they moved in, he went to his mom's room in the middle of the night and said someone was walking around his room. Oh shit. And she, you know, did right. <laughs> She's Go got a lot of kids. She's like back it's to a bed. dream. Go to bed. Right. He comes back a couple hours later saying the same thing. So she's like, fine, get your brother up, take him to your room and go back to bed. Right. An hour later, the brother runs into her room and says, he's not lying. Bro, the my closet God. door opened up. Footsteps went around the bed <gasps> and then back into the closet. Holy oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> and one of the girls saw a little boy come out of her closet, mm. stand by her bed, watching her in the middle of the night, walk through her bed and disappear. This is the story one of the little girls told. Oh, my God. So um, 
it, it, they had a date for this on November 17th. She said 1963. And I think this was from Paranormal Gumbo. The, the same little boy who first heard the footsteps got home from school. He had grown a little bit. He's going to school now. He um, had he wore a jacket to school and he threw a school jacket on the bed. It burst into flames as soon as it hit the bed. <gasps> what the fuck? And the maid heard him like screaming in his room and ran up and used a blanket to put out the fire. And then I assume she quit her job. <laughs> um, yeah, for any reason, either that boy's a little pyromaniac. Yeah, I, or, I know, right? You know, why are there pirates? Right? So um, there was another time Mrs. Gregory came home from shopping and was putting things away and found a candle lit in the cabinet underneath the kitchen sink. Mm. And she's like, what the hell? So she calls the maid and blesses her out for trying to burn down the house. Mm-hmm. And the maid's like, I found this candle burning earlier today, and I put it out. Mm-hmm. It's It shouldn't be lit. You know, I put it in the sink. Right. And so they didn't know how the candle had been lit and placed under the sink again. Um, one time, Mrs. Gregory had a friend over in the house when her husband was out of town. <clears throat> That sounds really shady, actually. Now that I said, yeah, the pool boy came. This was a this was like a church circle friend, I think. So she um, mm, even better <laughs> a female church circle scandalous. Friend. Mr. Gregory called while they were chatting, and the friend is like, "I, you know, is they're on the phone. I'm going to give them some privacy. All these things are completely foreign to like younger people listening to this podcast. I'm privacy on the phone. Yeah. What? Right." But um, so she goes into the other room to let them talk. And when mm-hmm. she walks into the other room, she sees a young boy standing there in the kitchen, holding the kitchen phone receiver, <gasps> listening to the conversation. Oh, I got to get chills. And she fusses at him because she's like, they have a lot of kids. And right. I don't I even remember recognize which one. them. So I assume they're one of the Gregory's kids. And she tells him, put the phone down. And he just like fades off into the mm. air. And so she. Okay. Also, for the, for the younger listeners, used to be. You had multiple phones in one house and they all connected to the same line. So right. if somebody's talking on one, I'm sorry that I'm being like, no, you my, have my to. kids my don't kid even know how to talk into a right. phone. So like, yeah, the phone stare thing at it. is yeah, like low. a weird thing for yes. kids. So you could listen on to somebody else's conversation by picking up another receiver in the house. Right. And um, so anyway, so um, she goes back and she tells Mrs. Gregory that she's seen this kid. And... Um, Mrs. Gregory pulls out this book of photos, like <laughs> like a freaking lineup, and says, "Like, do you oh recognize this child?" And Bless she her heart. and she picks out <laughs> Richie Cahill. Oh, she had a picture of the kid that had died under the tractor, and she had I think she had been like collecting these things as she started hearing noises. She probably did some research around town herself about like what had happened in this house, and she had pictures of Richie Cahill, and she showed so she these like pictures. Her kids oh. and then him. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. And so she didn't like lead her, but the lady picked out Richie Cahill. Holy and that's shit. And the kid who was holding the phone. So the Hattiesburg American said another time Mrs. Gregory was awakened in her bedroom by what she called a rather insolent apparition of a man who was standing there when she woke up over her bed with his arms folded, just looking amused by their like presence. Oh my God. And she said she shut her eyes to make it go away. And she looked up and it was still there. Oh my God. It waited until she opened her eyes again. No. And, um, there was a similar time. They were both in asleep in bed. The, the two parents and something started slamming, like punching. Oh my God. He is pissed off. Yeah. 
And so they got up and started looking around. And as soon as they went, then nothing, of course, they didn't find anything. They stopped hearing it. And as soon as they went back to sleep and pulled up the covers, they heard fingernails scraping <gasps> down the headboard. What is his deal? Seriously. The and kid, like, do you think it's the kid? She said that was an adult uh, apparition. Yeah. Oh. Who is he? We don't know yet. Well. So, like, they said the the weirdest one, and, you know, <laughs> stories are stories. The weirdest one was the day President Kennedy was assassinated, mm. which was, what, 63? Is that right? Sounds right? good. Yes. Um, so the, it, it hasn't come out in the news yet. They're still in bed. It's mm-hmm. like early, early, early in the morning. The Gregories aren't awake until they hear the children screaming. Mm-hmm. And they look around and realize that there's blood dripping from their curtains <gasps> smeared across their windows. What? And one account of this says that Dr. Gregory took a sample of the blood to his lab and confirmed that it was blood. Um, what? Just out of nowhere. All And it's, one of them says that it was RH positive human blood, like President Kennedy's blood. Uh, I think I that's kind of that. a leap. But, but yeah. um but they said, watch, I see that. Okay. What's that? Tornado watch. Just go. On. Okay. Uh, oh, talk fast. Talk <laughs> no, fast. Talk fast. No, no, don't. But uh, you got plenty of time. Yeah. yeah the, uh, so anyway, they, that happened. <laughs> well, I wish they would have, I wish they would have kept it because like the whole thing with the music. No. Who was it? With, okay. Sorry. I'm getting my things. I've been listening to that podcast with, um, with the guy from my favorite murder, oh Jensen and Holes, yeah Jensen, and, right? Yes. Murder, squad. Um, murder squad, murder squad people. Um, so you know, talking about like all the DNA stuff that mm-hmm. police departments have kept, and like now since they're plugging into the DNA, like from Twenty Three and Me mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and and been able to identify these people, it's like you need to keep the blood so yeah. we can know. Even the ghost blood, even, even ghost, the ghost blood. blood, and it's funny because of all the stories they told, that's the one that to me is just like the complete. Like, I don't believe it. Yeah, that. that's yeah. But, you know, it it was one of those, like, they didn't actually realize that it happened yet. They woke up in the morning and there was blood everywhere. And then they're like, oh, my God, Kennedy got assassinated. Right. Kind of an omen kind of thing. I guess so. So, (laughs) inexplicably, the family lives in the house for 12 years. Oh, bless the hearts. I mean, once you move that many kids and you're there. The idea of packing those boxes is way worse than the idea. It's way worse. And then you have to deal with everybody. Well, I don't want to leave my school Mm -hmm. and my friends. And yes, fine. Just let your jacket catch fire. That's right. We'll just pray that the blood is not yours <laughs> yet. yet. The, um, so yeah, they actually give um, upkeep costs. Is the reason they move, not ghosts. Um, they said it was just too too expensive to maintain. Yeah, where are they going to go? It's a huge. I mean, it's a fifteen room house, right? Um, and they actually made a comment to one of the newspapers that they kind of grew fond of some of the ghosts. Like they were that family that kind of managed to find. A right. middle ground somehow. It's like we but all got to live here. Exactly. So deal with me. I'll deal with you. And they did hire people. Though I say that, and I think it was the parents primarily that were interviewed by the newspapers because a bunch of their children would not sleep without the light on. Well, and fuck, they're probably I would be like in there with mom and dad. I know, right? Know? But uh, they did. They hired several like psychologists and parapsychologists while they lived there to mm-hmm. come and like try and piece together what was going on in the house, and nobody ever could really help them. Mm-hmm. So when they moved out, 
they honestly planned to just have the house torn down. Right. They were like, oh. no, we can buy it. It's like, it's haunted as fuck. You know, we're not going to be here. But Hurricane Camille struck. Oh, wow. And yeah. the contractors that were going to do that all got sidetracked doing cleanup work for Hurricane Camille. Sure. So they just boarded up the windows and let it sit. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the, the roof was leaking. The floors all got warped. It was, it was kind of a mess inside. And, um, and, you know, by now, because partly because Mrs. Gregory has been going around telling all the youth groups that there's ghosts in her house, every high schooler in town wants to spend the night mm-hmm. at this house. Right. And some of the Gregory kids still lived in town and would go with groups of high schoolers sometimes mm-hmm. to go and, like, investigate the house and sneak so in. they really need to, like, entrepreneurialize that shit. Exactly. Like, <laughs> hey, $20. $20. You got it. And, they, I mean, they could probably run, like, a, a protection racket, too, because apparently if the Gregories went with you to the house, nothing would happen. But oh, if they didn't, shit started to fly around. What a great con. So, <laughs> <laughs> so since it was just sitting there getting vandalized, like, it... Like $39,000 worth of vandalization. They, yeah, they massively damaged. They didn't say anything about like, you know, satanic pentagrams on the walls or anything. But um, in 69, the Gregory's started just saying, fine, you know what? Everybody who wants to look at the ghosts, you've got free reign. Come in, look at the ghosts, do your thing. Because they're like, we're not getting anything out of this. Right. Um, And so there was this Tennessee minister I don't understand any of this guy's title. It's the Reverend Dr. David Bubar. Bubar. And he called himself a parapsychologist and a psychic. Okay. And he held seances, you know, Ah, back to that kind of Victorian spiritualism. Absolutely. Um, Missouri, or Missouri, Mississippi, (laughs) Mississippi seances. Um, A a person from, a reporter from the Daily Herald actually attended the first seance and reported on it, um, said that they witnessed the table that they were using move according to instructed direction. So I guess Bubar said, like, if you're a spirit here, move the table and the table moved, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure can be done his... with hooks and levers. Yeah. Um, foot. <laughs> but the people there were convinced that it was, oh, it was yeah. real. But then he goes into a trance and mm. says that he channels several spirits who say that they have been killed in the house. Mm. And so when he's doing this, it comes to light through what he's saying that this NCO club that, that the Air Force ran in World War II. Right. Keesler Air Force Base, I think, is near there. Oh, is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Keesler. Did you say Keesler Air Force Base? Keesler. No. <laughs> Keesler. Ke- yeah, I think that's it. Well, the, so yes. it probably was some, somehow related to that. Yeah. But um, that this, this NCO club had actually operated as a prostitution ring <gasps> and an illegal gambling club. Mm. And yeah. that's the Keesler. reason. It's Keesler. Keesler. And that's yeah. the reason why it was unceremoniously shut down by the Air Force several years oh. after that and then sold back to the um, Cahill family. But, you mean, boys couldn't be boys? Right, I know. So, I mean, it's wartime. They're under a lot of stress. They are. But, uh, so their stress caused them to kidnap women, some underage women, and turn them into sex slaves. And um, forced abortion were part of the story oh, murders damn. were part of the story mm-hmm. and apparently this was something that like other locals corroborated at mm-hmm. some level or another like right. but you never know i mean it could just be they were gambling you know all these things must be right but that was the story boobar tells right so he channels one woman named Flossie, and the quote that the newspaper had that he said while he was under the influence of the spirit was i'm hurt my nose my head and my neck doesn't even work anymore he wanted to use me. He keeps me in this room and locks the door. I wanted to keep my baby. He shot me. I'm mm. sick. I'm corroded. I'm full of holes. 
And this is what this guy is saying while he's channeling this spirit. So before he loses her voice, the spirit of Flossie says that she once tried to burn down the house by putting lighted candles under a cabinet Mm. in the kitchen. So Mr. Bubar, Dr. Bubar, claims that the spirits could only be freed if the mansion was going to burn down. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the only way to let all these spirits that have been haunting this family What year is this now? Uh, It was like 69. I think was when the seance was held. 69 or 70. No, 69. Um, And so he even went so far as to say that um, before they saw the mansion torn down, the spirits would burn it to the ground. So... um, Bubar ended up holding a lot of seances at this place because like I said, they just opened it up and were like, fine, do it. I don't care. Um, but people who, who went to them started getting hurt mm, and one person, liability. yeah, one person claimed to have been thrown down the stairs during one of the seances. And Dr. Gregory was finally like this is enough. We got to tear this shit down. Like mm-hmm. this can't stand anymore. So he starts making arrangements, but the day that they're supposed to take it down, the contractor that was supposed to do the job dies of a heart attack. Oh my God. So, um, Early in the afternoon of July 18th, 1970, firefighters get called to the house. It is already completely engulfed in flames. Mm. They like the the whole, it was a wood frame house. Right. So it just went fast. I'm sure. And I'm sure a lot of it was rotted. And Mm -hmm. um, the Daily Herald published a story the next day that said flames started on the second story of another of the house where another seance had been held the night before. Hmm. And what do we have at seances, ladies? Oh, candles. Lots of candles. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so Bubar was informed that the fire had done this. And he says he was delighted that this place had burned down as it will free those poor, unfortunate entities that have been trapped there. Five years later, Bubar is found guilty on four federal charges connected with a fire that destroyed a rubber products plant in Connecticut. Oh, my God. He's an arsonist. He predicted a fire and explosion (gasps) would flatten the plant where he had once worked. Oh. And then it did. And he was the one that burned it down. He is a fucking psychopath. It sounds like there is ample evidence that Reverend Dr. David Bubar burned down the Cahill mansion. What denomination was he? Was he made up denomination? I have no idea. I was like, like... I'm so baffled a, by his whole thing. A domin- denomination of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, God Church. Something like that. Yeah. I imagine that's probably it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, um, and you know, I, several people kind of made that like, well, and, and I, I would go with this too. I mean, that logically doesn't necessarily discount the stories that the family no. told. It just says that this guy was a shyster. Right. But, yeah. So in short, actually that just really wasn't a very long story, but I thought it was kind of fun. So haunted, haunted oh houses. Goodness. It's the Cahill yeah. Mansion. So, it's completely gone so it is completely gone now. Aww. Unfortunately, Man. you can no longer visit the Cahill Mansion. Courtney's banging on the floor with frustration. Did you find pictures of it? I found one or two, and I'll try and post them. But they were all newspaper pictures, mm-hmm. and they were pretty. They weren't very good, good. quality. Yeah. I, you know, we have this newspapers.com account that we used to do a lot of our research, and it's it's really it awesome. Is awesome. Yes. The one thing that really bugs me about it is that you can't filter your searches for photos mm. so it's just you're it's just kind of you're up in the air whether you can find pictures and a lot of like syndicated columns and things like that like you'll find this the same story run in multiple newspapers right the and AP press. yes and yeah. sometimes it'll have photos and sometimes it won't so i haven't been able to find a great copy of anything right but i'm gonna try so that you can at least see it that you know just picture a large rectangular white house <sighs> <laughs> i think that's kind of it really wasn't that impressive right but yeah. uh 
uh, anyway, that's the story of the wow. Cahill Mansion in Mississippi. Well, she was not, who, whoever told us about it was not like joking. Yeah. Like the, all the stuff that's happening. Was it one of the ladies from Mississippi that was telling us that? I was trying to remember. She was a slight woman and I feel like she had her hair pulled back in a ponytail and I didn't recognize her. I think she had glasses mm. and I don't know that she listened to the show before. I think she was one of the ones that came up and said... It's hard to remember people from the Halloween show because everyone was dressed up and so... We were also drunk. (laughs) We also drank a lot. How they looked that night is not how they looked... Well, True. she wasn't... Now, she wasn't dressed in costume, oh, okay. though. Oh, okay. And I feel like she may have been sitting with or near Ruth. Okay. Um. So, you know, if that helps you at all, because she was over on the right side of the room, right. if that helps. But I feel like she may have been one of those people that came up and said, listen, I don't I don't normally listen to your show. Right. Um. But, you know, if you're her and you're listening, give us a shout out and we'll give you one back, yes. because yes. I appreciate that. That Good tip story. was a fun that story. That was a great story. And I hadn't... I mean, I've been to Gulfport a lot of times. We used to visit there when I would go visit my grandmother in Lumberton, Mississippi, which is not far from the place where they detonated the nuclear bomb underground. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like an hour to Gulfport um, where we'd go to the beach and whatnot. And you would see like all the homes along like, you know, the beachfront and stuff. They were very pretty. I've learned so much doing this show. Oh, I know. Me too. I love it. I know this about this nuclear bomb that exploded underground. (laughs) Mississippi. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Well, thank y'all so much for listening. We appreciate you. you. Yeah. And uh, we will talk at you soon. Woo. Bye. Bye.